Welcome to Britt David Podcast, as Pastor Tim continues his verse-by-verse study of 2 Timothy with a message entitled, You, When the Days Become Perilous. From 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10-15, through 15, Paul tells Timothy that the last days are going to be filled with perilous times, and it will show in the character of men, even men in the church. In our passage today, Paul turns his attention to Timothy that he might maintain upright character as those days approach. And God has given to Timothy a number of tools to help him. Those same tools he provides for you. Here's Pastor Tim. All right, if you can remember where 2 Timothy chapter 3 is, (laughs) feel free to turn there. It seems like it's been a long time now since we've been together in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It wasn't supposed to be like that. We were supposed to work from week to week to week to week and, uh, and be able to finish through this chapter and, and uh, learn uh, lots of good lessons. But now because of Bible school, because of lightning strikes, you know, we just have not been in this chapter together. So I really want us today to, uh, to sort of review a little bit and go back and and pick up because what Paul says to Timothy in our passage today that begins in verse number 10 really has already been set up for us. In fact, it is in response to everything else that he's already told Timothy in these first nine verses. So let's just go back and, and pick that up a little bit and I would remind you that Paul is talking about the last days the days of Jesus' imminent return as he believed that, uh, that Jesus was coming back in his own lifetime. You know, it's been, a, it's been a long time since, but Jesus is still coming just as sure as he was coming in Paul's day. He's coming that surely in our day or in the next. I don't know when, but he's coming back. And he says that those last days, as Jesus talked about in the, uh, in the Gospels and especially as you read towards the end of the book of Matthew, you begin to discover that Jesus has lots to say about how those days and the people of those days get further and further and further away from God. And you certainly see that in this passage. Look back with me in chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1. Paul says, but know this. So this is something you can know for sure. He says that in the last days, perilous times will come, and they are... Uh, they are destructive days. They are dangerous days uh, when he begins to talk about it. And if you'll notice, if your translation is like mine, that verse number, number one ends with a colon at the end of that passage. So what that tells me is, is that when he says that the, in the last days, perilous times will come, now here's your colon. Now what he's going to talk about for these next several verses is that's, this is what the days are going to look like. This is why, Paul says, this is why I call these days perilous. And he's talking about the church just as much as he's talking about the world. And he says this, Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, 
traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of them, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So that's the description. That's the description of people during those last days that are perilous. And he says people are going to be like that. And specifically what he's talking about are people within the church are going to even be like this. And so this is what he says about the person that you may share a pew with who acts this way. He says, and from such people turn away. And here's his reasoning. Why would, why would Paul ever tell us to turn our backs on one another? He says it this way. For of this sort, what sort? Well, you begin in verse number 2 and you read all the way through the middle of verse number 5. All of those things. Of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, we could say loaded down with guilt, led away or led astray by various lust or desires, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen, if you don't start with the truth, you're not going to end up at the truth. When they start with a false premise, these are false teachers that he's talking about. He's going to name some of them. He says, these false teachers are always going to lead people astray. They're never going to lead them to the truth. Oh, they're going to, they're going to think that they're super smart, that they are super deep. Somebody said, just because the, mudder, the water is muddy does not mean that it's necessarily deep. And that's going to be the case for these. Their, their belief is shallow, but they sure do muddy the waters and keep people in great confusion. He says they're always learning. They're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he mentions these two people who really remain unnamed from the Old Testament, but tradition tells us that these are two of the magicians that were Pharaohs who stood before Moses when he threw down his, his rod and it became serpents, when he turned the water into, into blood, all of those, uh, many of those um, signs and plagues. So this is what he says in verse 8. Now, as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these. Who are the these? The these are these false teachers who lead people who are loaded down with guilt, who want to know the truth by taking shortcuts. He says, these people also resist the truth. And then this is how he describes them. They are men of corrupt minds. They are disapproved concerning the faith. Now, let me stop there for just a moment because now you need in your mind to go back to something that Paul had said to Timothy earlier. He told Timothy that he needs to be a workman who is unashamed, who is approved by God because of his ministry. What he says about these people is <laughs> they, they, they have not been approved by God. They are disapproved concerning the faith. And then we're going to come back to this uh, verse number 9 in just a little bit tonight. He says, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest. In other words, it will become known to all as theirs. There's the Jannies and Jambres, as theirs was also. And then if you notice verse number 10, it begins by him saying, but you. But you. So what he's saying is this. 
in those last days, perilous times are going to come. This is what people are going to look like. And Timothy, you're going to be living and ministering right in the middle of it. Can I tell you this? We are living in last days. We are living in perilous times. If you, if, if you want to know, Tim, do you, do you think we're really living in the last days? Well, look back at verses 2, 3, and 4 and tell me if we're living in the last days. We're living in the last days. So if we're living in the midst of that, if we're trying to minister in the midst of that, you know, why is it so difficult to reach children, to reach teenagers, to reach adults with the gospel? Because we're living in the last days. And people would just as soon hold on to the false truth that is promised by people like Jannies and Jamborees rather than really come to the truth itself. So Paul says, Timothy, yours, your ministry, your church has got to be different than that. So what would he say then to Britt David? If we are living in the last days, if our times are just as perilous as Timothy's days, I think he would tell us, but you. But you need to be something different. So who are you in the midst of perilous days or when those days become perilous? What we discover in these verses tonight is that God has added to Timothy's toolbox He's given him some things that can help him along the way to navigate what ministry looks like, to navigate godliness in the midst of an ungodly and anti-Christian culture, just as we do. The very things that, 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 that God has given to Timothy, many of those things he's given to you, and especially when we come down here to the end. The four things I want to share with you tonight, four tools I want you to add to your toolbox. Number one, I want you to see that God gave Timothy first a good example. He gave Timothy a good example. So in these perilous days, in these last days, who is your example? Who, who do you look to? Who do you listen to? Who do you try to mirror or mimic in these days? If there's, is, there, is there someone who becomes a spiritual hero for you? Somebody from days gone past or somebody who's contemporary? Somebody that you know from afar or somebody that you know up close? Do you have somebody who is a good example of godliness in an ungodly society, of, of being what a Christian ought to be when the spirit of Antichrist is, is in full play, do you have somebody that you're looking towards? Well, God gave Timothy a good example by the Apostle Paul. Paul became for Timothy this example of what a leader of what a Christian, of what a pastor, what a minister really ought to be. And there are a number of things, just like he said, this is, this is, what, the, uh, this is what the world looks like during perilous times, this is what the people look like. He's going to turn right around and, and, and Paul is going to uh, model for Timothy so many areas of the Christian life. 
There's a bunch. I don't even know the number. So we're just going to give them to you one at a time, just as they come up here in beginning in verse number 10. So I want you to see these things. Number one, Paul mentored Timothy, first of all, on proclamation. On proclamation. What is it that he is really teaching? Certainly he's not going to be like the teachers that we read about back in verse number 6. Those who creep into households and lead people who are laden down with guilt into some strain of perverse Christianity that is not leading them to the truth. So what is his proclamation going to be like? The word that he uses in verse number 10 is doctrine. Look at it. He says, you, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. What does he really believe? What do you believe? What do you believe about the Bible? There for a while it seemed as if Baptists couldn't decide whether the Bible was reliable or not. Whether it was true from beginning to end. Is the Bible true when it speaks of matters of creation? Is the Bible true when it speaks of matters of last days? Is it true when it prophesies? Is it true when it encourages? Is it true when it exhorts? Is it true and profitable in all of those ways? Southern Baptists finally came to a point to where we finally said, well, duh, yeah, the Bible is true. You know, without error, without even the hint of error, without even the possibility of error. It is God's, God's own breathed word. Now we struggle with whether it's sufficient or not. Is the Bible sufficient? It is sufficient. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself about where we'll be next time when we get down to verses 16 and 17. But you need to know that your Bible is sufficient for all things. The Bible says it provides everything that you need for life and for godliness. Every answer is in that book. That's where you determine your doctrine. That's what you share with people. So Paul mentors him on proclamation, number two. Paul mentored Timothy on performance. On performance. He says, not only have you carefully followed my doctrine, but you have carefully followed my manner of life. How do I live? How do I practice what I preach? Maybe we should have said practice instead of performance because you're talking about proclamation, you're talking about preaching doctrine, and now you turn right around and you live it out. Don't, don't be the person who says that you believe one thing on Sunday, especially those of you who have the privilege of teaching, whether it's children or youth or adults, and then turn around and be somebody else during the rest of the week. To talk different, to act different, to think different, to prioritize different. Instead, look at the manner of life that the Apostle Paul has. Look at the manner of life of Timothy. Look at the manner of life of some of your heroes that you look up to. Paul mentors for Timothy what it means to live out his faith day by day by day. He mentors him on proclamation, on performance, number three, on purpose. On his purpose, and that's the word that he uses right there, isn't it? You carefully followed my doctrine. You've carefully followed my manner of life. You have carefully followed my purpose. Well, what's our purpose? 
this is one of those areas where I think that the Presbyterians have it dead spot on right. Our purpose is to glorify God in all things. That's our purpose. My purpose here is to glorify God. One of the best ways that I can glorify God by doing something here that I can't do there is to evangelize. I want to tell men and women and boys and girls about Jesus and about how they can be saved. That becomes our purpose in life. We have a purpose for our church. I mean, maybe, you, maybe you've not been around long enough to know that the, uh, you know, when we say this is a church to call home, that home really is an acrostic that tells us what our purpose is. Our purpose is to honor Christ. Our purpose is to be on mission. Our purpose is to minister to others outside of our church and to, and to edify people within our church. It becomes our purpose. He's modeling it. My job then is to live it out. Number four, Paul mentored Timothy on principles. On principles. He says, you have carefully followed my doctrine. You've carefully followed my manner of life. You've carefully followed my purpose. You have carefully followed my faith. You say, well, you know what? He's really already said that. Didn't he? I mean, he said doctrine. I mean, doctrine basically is what you believe, right? So, so why say doctrine and then say faith? <laughs> there, there are plenty of people who have a set doctrine. There, there are even plenty of people who have what we would say is a correct doctrine, but who have no faith. They have an acknowledgement of a series of facts. And, the, and, those, and those facts are important. It's important that I get those things right. It's important that I get the facts of the birth of Christ right. It's important that I get redemption down right. It's important that I get the second coming right. It's important that my doctrine is correct. But it's even more important that I genuinely believe and have committed myself to that doctrine. That I genuinely have faith and trust in Christ. Not to just say it. In these last days, there's no more time for putting on. No more time for pretending. Did COVID not teach you that? Look around this place. Look around this place on Sunday mornings. There's some that you have not seen and some that you will not see ever again. Not because of health issues, but because they're out of the habit. Suddenly, church has been, um, uh, I don't want to say purified, that's not really the right word, uh, but, but there has been a strain, a judgment that's taken place. And people's faith has been discovered some that's been absolutely pretend from the very beginning. And then some that's been for real. Paul mentors him on that. And we need good mentors on that too. On proclamation, on performance, on purpose, on principles. Number, where am I at? Five? On patience. Patience. He uses the term long-suffering. You have carefully followed my long-suffering. 
Long-suffering, the, uh, a great uh, translation of that <clears throat> is to be long-fused. You know, you know of people who are short-fused, right? Doesn't take much to set them off. Suddenly, pow, they, are, I mean, they have exploded over sometimes just the smallest of things. He says you need to be long-fused. It needs to take an awful lot to get you to that point. To be long-suffering. To have the patience. <laughs> they say the patience of Job. Not so sure Job really had patience. He did, he did have an awful lot of humility, though. All right, Paul is mentoring Timothy. Tell him what kind of person that he needs to be. And in those last days, we need to be long-suffering. We need to be patient. Number next, Paul said, You have carefully followed my passion. Mentored him on passion. He says, you have carefully followed my love. My love. And the, and the word that he uses is the word agape. Right? You know the difference between agape love and, and phileo love. Phileo love is simply that I care about somebody. Have brotherly love for them. Agape love is the kind of love that God has for me. It is unmerited. It is unearned. It is undeserved. That's how we're to love other people. That same kind of passion that God has for us, we are to have with others as well. Number next, Paul mentored him on perseverance. On perseverance. And that's the last word that he uses in verse number 10. He says, you have carefully followed my perseverance or my endurance how he has endured hardships that he's about to talk about, how he's endured ministry, how he's endured slander, how he's endured so many things, natural and man-made, that's come his way. And Paul has shown Timothy the path to that, about how to navigate through all of those kinds of disasters. When you skip down into verse number 11, you find another good P word that's right there. He says, persecutions. You have carefully followed my persecutions. Boy, Paul speaks at length in his Gospels about the kinds of persecutions that he's undergone, the numbers of persecutions that he's undergone, and what Timothy is going to find out almost immediately after Paul is executed, Timothy's going to be thrown in jail. He's going to pick up where the Apostle Paul leaves off, and he is going to suffer in many of the same kind of ways that Paul suffers. And he will suffer with great persecution, which means people coming against him. In these last days, people will come against you. They will. And they will continue to do that more and more and more, as you'll see. There's one more I want to give to you. Paul also mentored him on pain. On pain. He says, you've carefully followed my persecutions, and you have carefully followed my afflictions. What's the difference? The difference is persecution is when somebody does that to me. An affliction is when something natural, maybe it is a virus, maybe it is uh, a disease, maybe it is Paul with his problem with his eyes, you know, whatever it is, that thorn in the flesh. There are afflictions that come to us. Listen, just because we belong to Christ doesn't mean that we're immune from the things of the world. There is going to be pain in Timothy's life. And Paul has shown him the process through all of that. 
Paul has been for Timothy a good, good example. And you need one too. But there's more. I mean, part of now Timothy's toolbox is a good example. There's a second tool that needs to go in there. This one not nearly as, uh, not nearly as pleasant to use. God gave Timothy a grave expectation. He gave him a grave expectation. I mean, there's, there, there's no beating around the bush in the Bible. There's no cutting corners and just simply, you know, trying to put lipstick on the pig or, or icing on the cake, you know. It, it's just a matter of saying this is how life is going to work. There are going to be persecutions. There are going to be afflictions. There are going to be sufferings and all of these other things uh, that are there. And Timothy needs to expect it, doesn't he? As grave as it might be, he does need to expect it. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his verse-by-verse study of 2 Timothy. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at britdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.